0: It is the Chicago vs. United podcast, your Chicago scene salvation, featuring interviews of the premier talent and tastemakers in the Chicago music community. My name is Haima Black. I host this podcast every week at ChicagoVersUnited.com. This week, a very special podcast celebrating the six-year anniversary of the Dynasty Podcast Network, the 100th episode of the Chicago vs. United podcast, and the start of the Dynasty Podcast residency at the Music Garage, Chicago's professional music rehearsal space. You can check them out on the web at MusicGarage.com. Similarly special on this episode is my guest in studio this week, Chicago music and radio veteran Chris Payne, who just last month wrapped up a decade-long stint as the host of Q101's Local 101 program. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. Congratulations on uh, your 100 podcasts in
1: six years. With uh,
0: Yeah, you know, just kind of running in the background. Local 101 was always the day gig, you know, and this was <laughs> always like the passion project. It's amazing. You know, near the end
1: of, uh, as Local 101, Q101 was ending. I, I was telling everyone, and, and you too, reminding you that you know it wasn't just me on local 101, but you were always there by my side from day one, kind of lurking around in the background, you know, yeah. setting up these interviews. We would do two to three interviews every week, and um, you would not only set up and schedule the interview for us. You would also do pre-interviews and and you know get all of the underground scoop and I was the guy that got to pop the questions live on the air and got a lot of the credit, man. But uh, believe me, I couldn't have done it and the show would not have been half as good as it was without all the work and and stuff that you contributed to it.
0: Well, I I mean I appreciate that obviously and vice versa. I would not have been able to pursue a career in radio and end up doing like podcasts and music journalism and. Palooza and talk to all these bands and everything if you know people like jenny lisak from metro and yourself at the very beginning hadn't given a 15 year old you know against (laughs) everyone's better judgment you know radio internships and and really like you know jenny lisak from metro brought me on at loyola and a couple months later you brought me on at rock no Five, and later that that year i ended up at q 101 with you and really like you know i've been working at q 101 up until this year since then and all those things allowed me to pursue a career in music and, and get to know all these bands and be part of this community. So that's incredibly amazing as well. So, I mean, really thank you. It's so funny, man, to say that. Were, were you really 15? Were you, I thought you were 14. 14 I was, or 15. I was 15. Okay. I was 15. I, I knew it was right about
1: that age. And you had, um, I don't want to say you were stalking me, but you were stalking me. Sure. You yeah. were following me around to different events. You would show up. You'd call my radio show. And you are I'll do anything to be on the show. I'll do, I'll get you coffee. I'll do... I'll write all yeah. of your Write work. I'll do anything for you. And I kept saying, no, 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 no. You're too young. Yeah. Until a very close friend of mine who's known me for many, many years and heard me tell the story about when I first got into radio, which was in South Alabama, mm-hmm. at a small AM station. Dude, I was 14 years old when I got my first paid radio gig. I didn't even have a driver's license. Yeah. In fact, at that time, you could get a motorcycle driver's license. <laughs> so my father helped me buy a, I remember it was a, it was a Yamaha 175 Enduro that I would ride that son of a bitch. 30 <laughs> miles one way to get from my house to the radio station in the rain, in the snow, in the yeah. sleep, whatever. Um, and, and when my friend reminded me of that, I was, uh, I'm like, you know what, you're right. I got I to gotta bring this kid on. I got to give you a chance. I
0: was I was a super radio nerd, and I still am. But, you know, <laughs> I grew up listening to talent like you. I mean, I was a big Man Cow fan at Rockin' 035. Uh, James Van Ostel, your show, Sludge. And you guys made radio and music, you know, sound so exciting. It sounded like such a party. And at Rockin' 035, it, it was it a party. It was a party, man. <laughs> right, it so sure was. that. that really came through. And I was like, man, I want to, like, hang out with, like, you know, Smashing Pumpkins and Megadeth and stuff and, like, you know, get to interview those bands and, and talk, you know, play new records and, and get to debut all these new songs and stuff. Like, that's the career I want to go into. So I would, you know, I'd reach out to Rock on 3-5 and the promotions coordinator there, uh, Jim Lynam, Jim Jesus, and, you know, same thing, I reached out to him a ton of times. I did interviews with radio people like for school papers. I just wanted to, like, get to know people, you know, and oh, yeah. um, and I called Jim a bunch of times and finally like... <laughs> I met with you, and and you were even like, "Don't go into radio." Don't it's, do it, man. You're don't like, "It's it. such a shitty career. Like, <laughs> you know, you get canned all the time. People get fired. You don't make any money. Formats change, which has happened a couple times. But you're like, this this job just sucks. You know, like it's a lot of fun, but it, as a career, it sucks. Like, don't go into this. Like, and I was like, I want to do this, and I got to see all those things firsthand. But I, I mean, I I wouldn't change a thing. It was so, it was so amazing. But having you here, I wanted to get you up you know, because Local 101 just ended. You just finished this whole long career in radio. And and even we can even talk about whether it is even finished. But I want to start at the beginning for people who know you from Local 101. They might not know your backstory. Uh, I do. But, you know, how did you 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 touched on this, but how did you kind of get started in radio or in the music business? Man, honestly, I I, I
1: was just telling the story today, which is really kind of surreal that I had no idea what you were going to ask me tonight, Yeah, uh, but I just told this story earlier today, and uh, you know what? I was like in ninth grade in high school, and a kid was a senior, and he was graduating, going to college. He worked at the small AM station in Foley, Alabama, of all places. <laughs> it's like 30 minutes north of the Gulf of Mexico, so I was a kid that grew up on the beach all the time, you know, scuba diving, snorkeling, and you know, sure. being on the water. And uh, he was graduating, and the guy that ran the radio station he was at said, Well, do you know, do you know any other kids at the school that want a gig? And he's like, I know one kid. So he came to me, and I actually had a really deep voice for a ninth <laughs> grader. And uh, I was like, Do you want to be on the radio? $5 an hour. I was like, $5 an hour? Oh my God, you're <laughs> kidding me. You were kidding me. That's incredible. I think, I think minimum wage at that time was like 275 or something. Ridiculous. Yeah. So. So you were banking. I was totally banking, man. <laughs> All my friends were sweating mowing lawns, and I was, uh, I was DJing on a radio station. But the cool part was, since it was a small AM station, whenever the owner would leave town, he would announce it and let everyone know. So when he would leave town, I was playing Ozzy Osbourne, Motley Crue Records, but when he was in town, the station's format was more along the lines of, like, Christopher Cross, you know, (laughs) sailing, take me away. Um, And when these um, uh, senior citizens would call because the farmer's report wasn't on, they're like, what's going on? I would say... I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why
0: this is happening. Yeah, I have no idea. You're playing man. Sabbath and stuff. That's yeah, pretty it awesome. It was so
1: funny. It was so funny. So, so
0: did you start as a DJ? Like when I met you, I started off as an intern with you when I was behind the scenes. And then I moved up to producer, which if you didn't know better, you would think it's like intern, right, you know, but right. with a lot more responsibility. Um, but, you know, my roles have been more behind the scenes, but you kind of went right to on air.
1: Yeah, I was I was always on air, and you know that was a great part time job when I was in high school. And when I went to college, I kind of dropped out of it for a little while, and then um, I you know I was enrolling for some classes at some time. And uh, the, one of the professors signing me up said, "Hey, you've got a pretty good voice. You know, would you be willing to do some of the commercials for the for the college station?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, I'll do it." And um, I had been in Puerto Rico for a couple of months working for an advertising agency, just doing commercials for a radio station in Miami. I was making serious bank and scuba diving every other day <laughs> so i'm like yeah yeah i'll do it and we went to this radio station this was in mobile alabama wrcx at the time and uh it was it was rock something i don't remember the you know i don't remember the, the uh, what we used to call it but um so i'm in there and all these kids are like trying to record these 30 and 60 second commercials mm-hmm. and it was taking take one take two take mm-hmm. 10 take 15 i went in and nailed them both the first take so the uh, production director run, said, wait here kid wait here. Runs, <laughs> tells the program director. The program director comes in, listens to my to my two commercials. He offered me a weekend job on the spot. He's like, if you wanted it, it's yours. I'm like, absolutely. So I did my very first weekend show, and um, turns out he showed up, the, the program director showed up in the middle of the night uh, that week after my weekend show, and the night guy had a bag of weed on the control board, and the program director was completely straight edge, so he fired the guy on the spot, called me and said, my wife likes the sound of your voice. You're going to leapfrog over all the other part-timers. The night show is yours if you want it. That was my very first professional radio host job. And I consider it my first professional job because I made enough money where I could actually move out of my house, live on my own, and support myself thanks to the help of Domino's Pizza, who I would trade concert tickets for food. Yeah, I remember that story, I remember you, know that story, right? I remember you yeah. saying that,
0: that. Yeah, like that's kind of like how you lived. Like That's how you stayed alive. Is oh, you yeah. Just, you didn't have money for pizza, so You're yeah. like, yeah, you want to go see whoever's in town. Front row seats to you two.
1: They're all sure. yours, man.
0: As long, long as I can get pizza for an entire week, I'm good to go. But that was back in the early days. So, where did you make the jump to Chicago? Because I, you know, a lot of people. I mean, you've been in Chicago for. How long have you been doing? About seventeen Chicago years, radio? yeah, in yeah. Chicago,
1: about seventeen.
0: So, how did you like? How did that jump happen? Like, when did you get here? And yeah, you know, I bounced around
1: in the South for a little bit. Um, you know, I, I worked at a station in Knoxville, Tennessee, for a short period of time. Uh, but what really brought me up to uh, the North was uh, a station in Milwaukee, ninety-three QFM, and I think I spent about four years on the air there. I started out doing overnights, was promoted to nights, and then wrapped up. Uh, uh, doing a midday show there. But, you know, even then, I was hosting a local music show that I convinced them to air at lunchtime on Thursdays in the middle of the day. It was a local music show in the middle of the day never Thursday at lunch. Never (laughs) happened. I couldn't believe it happened there either. And um, so, you know, while I was working there, I I had some friends in Chicago and that's when The Blaze was on the air and they were looking for some weekend talent. Which,
0: The Blaze was the station that that was Rock 1035 before it was Rock 1035. And for anyone listening... Rock 103.5 was a radio station in the 90s that played rock, obviously. Oh, yeah, we played it
1: all. Yeah. So, yeah, so I went there, and I was working Saturdays and Sundays in in Chicago and Monday through Friday in Milwaukee, and you have to do that in radio when you're coming up or, you you know, you're not going to survive. Yeah. Do what it takes. And um, after almost my year anniversary, you know, the program director at The Rock at that time, uh, you know, offered me a full-time gig to come in and do 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., so
0: that's which was the House of Pain show. Yeah, the House of Pain show. Yeah. And yeah. I dropped
1: that once I moved to Q101.
0: Yes. But I mean, that was the show that I would listen to growing up. And I loved it because The Rock was a heavy station to begin with. But then after 10 o'clock, when it was House of Pain, it'd get like a little heavier, a little Definitely. darker. Like Definitely. you'd play like kind of like heavier metal. You'd play like a lot of like tool, like deep cuts. Not yeah. like the singles, but like they're really like. So I would listen to that show and I'm like, this is awesome. And you know, I'd always hear like you know, rock stars and strippers and it always sounded like there was a bunch of like drugs and partying going on. And, you know, and so so really like that show, like <laughs> right can't. when you kind of like got there, I was like, God, that sounds awesome. Like I want to go on the radio. That was yeah. a lot of what it inspired me. Yeah, I can't
1: comment about all of the stuff you just <laughs> said, but I'll just say it was it just a, sounded it was like a it. good, good time. It was a lot of fun. And you're right. You know, the cool thing about that program director at that time, his name is David, Dave Richards. I sure. think he's back in Seattle now. You know, when it came to the night show, my show, he would, you know, kind of let me play with the playlist and I could play some heavier stuff. And he said, as long as you're killing it in the ratings, go for it. So We introduced a lot of Pantera that you know, Chicago radio you just There's couldn't no hear way. on the Chicago, yeah. Radio where else are you going to hear it. that? Like, not on XRT, yeah. You know, we we started Mandatory Metallica. I mean, you know, it's been out so, for so long, so many years now. But the reality is, that feature started on my show on Rock 1035, and because of it, I mean, we got to know, uh, I got to know, uh, you know, Lars and James and all the other guys in the band. In fact, I was the one who introduced Rachel Barton to Metallica. Now, hopefully your listeners know who Rachel Barton is. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was uh, in the Chicago Symphony and she may still be, I haven't talked to her in years, but you know, she sat first chair. She was um, uh, just a super, super talented musician and her and, three or four of her other buddies from the Chicago Symphony in their spare time would record all of these crazy metal songs, except they would make them acoustic or or symphonic, symphonic, symphonic. yeah, that's it. And um, she had like all of these symphonic Metallica songs and had, had given them to me and I had even played some of them on mandatory Metallica. So one of the many shows that Metallica came to Chicago, one of the many times they were on our show and one of the many times we interviewed them, I'm like, listen... You guys have to meet this girl. Listen to this music. So I brought Rachel up to the station. I'll never forget it we were sitting in the production room with Jeff Laird who died a couple of years ago. Uh, he was the production director for the station, but it was it was it was Jeff Laird, it was Lars, it was James, it was Rachel, it was Rachel's handler and me and we're sitting there listening to these incredible Uh, symphonic versions of all of these Metallica songs and were all just glowing because they were really very beautiful. Yeah, And you could really hear how, you know, that the Metallica tunes weren't just metal, but they were really beautiful songs when they were recorded in that way. And I'll never forget it, Haima, I'll never forget it. You know, Lars looks at James and he says, what do you think? And James is like, eh, I don't know. And Lars is like, I'm not feeling it and then i was i was actually a little offended by that i'm thinking i've known these guys for this for you know years yeah. i'm introducing them to this you know this wonderful woman clearly talented and they just brushed it off but you know something bro it was about 18 months after that i was going to say cuz i know what they did they released the metallica <laughs> symphonic cd
0: and did an entire tour on it yeah. So it's, you know, honestly. <laughs> so this idea that they're like, I'm not really feeling it, but right. we're going to bank on it in about a year. And they did. And, yeah.
1: and uh, you know, Rachel did finally, her and her buddies finally did release a symphonic version of their CD. But they had some licensing issues and couldn't identify the names of the songs on the disc. And it just sort of fizzled out. But it was a great idea. And Metallica stole her idea.
0: I believe it. I know.
1: I totally believe that. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You were talking about all the stuff that was happening in the studio. And it you say it sounds sounded real. Um, when you were telling, when you were mentioning that story earlier, the first thing I was thinking about is I remember Sludge, Sludge Nation, mm-hmm. and I, DJ, were yeah. literally moshing in the Rock 103.5 studios to a snot song, S N O T. it was what they had one single, but it was a cool song. We're literally slam dancing in the uh, studio, just the two of us, like just tearing the place apart. And he ends up breaking my finger. I had to go to the <laughs> hospital and get it set. It was so it was wild. All the crazy stuff that people would hear on the on the air in the studio, it it was literally happening. And Jim Line, I'm Jim Jesus, I, mean, mm-hmm. I uh, taught that guy how to operate. You know the Pro Tools editing system. And I remember I used to screw with the guy all the time. Where I, you know, he's like, I want to run the board. I would run a board. So I would sit on the opposite side. He would sit behind the control board. And then, you know, in the middle of a set, I, I would say, like, all right, man, I, I'm going to go get us some beers. I'll be right back. You know, when when that song goes off the air, just press that button and that button and that button and that button. And then I'd run out. He's like, and I'd look, to him, look at him through, like, two windows away. <laughs> Poor kid was, like, about to have a heart attack. Of course, I ran inside and, you know, fixed it before anything. And, and
0: he's the one who ended up uh, putting me in touch with you. Yeah, that's so. right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, you know, you're talking about Three Five, which, uh, you know, another late, great rock station. And how did that station differ from your time at Q101 because it's you know they're they're both rock stations but it was very different type of rock formats and you did a lot of different type of broadcasting between those two stations
1: yeah well I think when rock 103 you know when rock 103.5 was in the marketplace uh, you know competing against Q101 Q101 was definitely more alternative than it was in the last years uh, and likewise with The Rock, it became w- what was called at that time an active rock format and was really beginning to play heavier stuff, heavier and heavier, even during the day. Uh, you know, breaking artists you know, such as, uh, I don't know, Creed and Kid Rock and going sure. on and on and on. You know, a lot of those artists really broke out of the midwest. Corn. that's right. Yeah. But when The Rock went away, that opened the door for Q101. To sort of switch formats a little bit, or shift a little bit heavier, and and it wasn't by accident. The program director at Rock 103.5, Dave Richards, became the program director of Q101 mm-hmm. after the Rock went away. So he brought the same philosophy and some of the same staff with him when he made that shift. But you know, then Q101 started playing some heavier stuff, and I'll I'll never forget the first day that Q101
0: played a Metallica song. <laughs> People went crazy. Yeah, like, you this know. is before social media even, yeah, but exactly. still, you were able to gauge the response because it was such a polarizing move. Yeah. Oh, well, back then, DJs used to answer the phone. Right. <laughs> and then the last years of Q101, it's like the phones wouldn't even ring because people were texting it. That's right. Or tweeting right. or Facebooking or MySpace. That's MySpaceing. exactly right. Uh, You know, Q101, you know, you were there. How did you start out there? Like, you know, I know that The Rock went off. I mean, I know the story. Right. The I Rock know. went off, and then you made the jump to Q101. But like, how did that transition kind of end up happening?
1: Um, You know, I got, I remember I was, um, I remember exactly where I was standing. I was in a a mall and uh, a girl I was with was buying a dress and I get the phone call from David Richards and that's when he said, hey man, I'm going to Q101, I'm bringing you with me. And I said, excellent. You know, when do I start? He's like, I want you to start right away. And um, I'm like fantastic. I'll help you do whatever you need to do. I had a lot of experience in in the music programs and stuff. I'm like, I'll I'll do whatever you need. And um, that was also about the same time I'd taken my taken my LSAT exam and got my results back. And I actually very fortunately did did pretty well and was accepted to a number of law schools. Yeah. So uh, you know, my my deal was well, you, you know, I. Could do maybe part-time but i i want to go to law school and, and i got a phone call from Mankow um saying hey man my saturday morning show if you want to come over you can do that and i'll just pull it off the air it was like the worst of Mankow.
0: Right, right 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 i remember that that used to air on saturdays at q101 yeah
1: so i came over i actually came over first and then dave richards uh joined the station and um so I I worked weekends from from day one when I started Q one hundred and one. That's when
0: JVO was still hosting local one hundred and one. JVO was still hosting local one hundred and one, and that was um, you know on my end. And this is about you, but I was interning with you for the last couple of weeks with the Rock, maybe like two or three months. Yeah. Um, and then the Rock ended, and that was kind of another big on-air party that was great. And I was like, wow, I can't believe I was you know fifteen, sixteen years old. I was able to take part in that. And I woke up literally one Saturday morning. and I turned on Q one hundred and one because that was what was left, and I heard, I was so tired that I was like, I don't recognize this DJ's voice. Like, this isn't one of the Q101 guys. And then after a second, I'm like, oh, it's Chris Payne. And I literally just called, you know, I was like, hey, like, are you at Q101? And you're like, yeah. And I was like, can I come over? You know, and I, mean, I like said, yeah. Basically, it was just like, that's how my career at Q101 started, <laughs> where I was just calling in and being like, do you mind if I intern with you? And um and thankfully, that same Dave Richards was cool enough to keep me on. So, And that's when your name changed, too, by the way. Right. Because in the early days, you were not Haima Black. You were. No. You went by a different name. Should Dave I? Richards forgot what my name was because I was like a 16-year-old intern who worked one Saturday a week. You know, like it was, you know, he didn't have to remember my name. And um, so when he saw that I was at the at Q101, after knowing me a little bit at Rock on 3.5, he was like, oh, it's, I'll never forget this. He's like, oh, it's the, um, uh, it's, um, um, uh. It's the teenage porn star. Teenage I mean, porn star. He totally blanked on my name, and somehow that's what he came up with. So, for a long time in high school, my radio name was Porn Star. And then I ended up doing internships at like Metro and The Onion. And that became so much my name in the Chicago music community that people started giving me like shortening it. They're like, oh, it's porny. You know, like as if Porn Star was my given name. Right, yeah. And then. Porny was my nickname. And then eventually the name changed to Heima Black because I wore so much black. And, um, you know, that's kind of how that happened. But it's funny. But at Q101, you got there in 1998 and yeah. JVO was still there. But then in 2001, you took over the local show um, when JVO left,
1: correct? Yeah, there was another rock station that had uh, had started and James left. He went and did it. And uh, I remember thinking, well, I'm you know, I, I was full blown law school at that time. And and I was thinking that, um, you know, I'm only working weekends, and I thought I en- I enjoyed it so much when I was at Rock 103.5. I asked Richards, I'm like, I'll do it, I'll do it.
0: He's like, okay, have at it. Yeah, and so you started um, local 101 in 2001. I remember James yeah, Van As- cool. Osdell left right around the same time the Smashing Pumpkins disbanded. You know, for yeah. the original run, and then kind of like it was like a new millennium. It was post 9/11. It was post Pumpkins. It was post JVO. It was a new Q101. And that's when you kind of started up, and and like, if you look at JVO's run of local one hundred and one, it's very much the alternative era in Chicago. That's right. When you had like Liz Fair, Veruca Salt, Local H, Smashing Pumpkins, Urge Overkill coming up. Exactly. And those are all bands that you supported also at the Rock. But then your run of Q one hundred and one is really very new millennium. It's it wasn't one scene. Like you could look at JVO's run, and it's kind of populated, you know, uh, by the alternative bands mm-hmm. that were like. That Billboard was like, oh, you know, Chicago's the next Seattle. Like, th- those run of bands. And there was a lot more than that. But, you know, they were huge, huge, great talents. And Local 101, the 10 years you did it, you just finished this summer, there wasn't one scene, I feel like. It wasn't like you could be like, oh, our run was the such and such. You know, we were just the industrial bands or something like that. You know, it's like, how would you define, I guess, the last 10 years? Like, your run on Local 101? Well, that is that is really the ultimate question. Yeah. It? And
1: probably the hardest to really answer, but I think I remember some of the first. Gosh, I was gonna say some of the first local acts we played. I mean, local age comes to mind, but they were actually you know banging yeah. it with JVO in in his last few days there. But you know, I don't know. You know, I, I think I said, you know, I know how to define it. I know how to answer it, and and I think a lot of people know this, but uh, probably not as many as I think know it. The the rules that, that we set or the rules that I set when I first took over the show is I wanted to try to make it as fair as I possibly could. I wanted to make sure that I played music that, you know, maybe I didn't necessarily like it, but I knew others did and I knew that it had an audience mm-hmm. and I would play it anyway. So, I, I and, and you can attest to this. I sure. made sure I was not playing just Chris Payne's favorite songs. No. So the the way, and I also wanted to somewhat reward an artist for all of the hard work that they've put into their career and their trade and their music rather than, you know, um, just sort of give this little four or five minutes away now. Q101's commercial radio station, third largest market in the country. I took that very, very serious. Every band that got a song played on the show should have been and were, I believe for the most part, very proud to have been played on a yeah, commercial absolutely. station. I mean, they're getting a BDS spin for that. I mean, it, it's happening for them. So the the rules that we set forth was, you know, number one, you, you really had to have, you know, uh, you really had to have shows that you were already playing.
0: You had to have a presence.
1: You had to have a presence. That's yeah. right. Because I, I I looked at it this way: if I'm playing an artist, even if it's a great, incredible song, yet they're still in their basement, uh, they don't have any other bands. They're just, you know, putting it together on their computer. They they don't have any shows. They don't have any like product to sell. You know, it seems like it's kind of a wasted four or five minutes to play on the air. Because we only had an hour a week. We only local had an 101
0: hour week. was an hour. Sunday nights somewhere around nine or ten PM it kind of switched. But you know, and then you factor in anywhere from seven to fourteen minutes of commercials. It was not a lot of time that we had. And then if there was, you know, fifteen minutes per show, twenty minutes per show devoted to commercials, I'm sorry, maybe fourteen to commercials and maybe fifteen to interviews, that only left about half an hour per week for local music. So Those spins had to, you know, be selected pretty carefully. That's right. That's right. Yeah.
1: So I figured, you know, if the band's out there hustling, you know, they're playing at some of the Chicago premier clubs. They've got at least an EP or something out there that people could like buy. I felt like, okay, I'm the next step in the cog. All right. If I play something, I'm going to and I would only play bands that had a show the upcoming week. So yeah. when I played something, if people were listening to my show, I would say, "All right, you can see this band. You like what you heard? You can see this band. They're going to be at Bottom Lounge on thir- Thursday. They're going to be at Metro on Friday." So it was like a call Double to door. action. Exactly. So you know, not only could people, you know, they'd hear something, some brand new independent local music. They could, go, if they liked it, they could go see and perform live. And if they liked it more, they could buy their CD right there. Yeah, it was and, a good
0: follow-up because then four days later, you go to Shubas, you like them, you buy a poster, a T-shirt, CD, whatever. Yeah, and that's absolutely right. Yeah, because yeah. I remember. I mean that's very much true that during the run because I did a lot of the booking you know and there were yes. bands you booked and selected and but my ongoing role was to make sure that we had enough bands booked to make sure that everything was taken care of in that regard so when I would bring bands to you I knew that what we were looking for was bands that and even before social media were making themselves known you know and I look at before the age of the internet which I think has made it easier And I look at bands like Kill Hannah, who have maybe the best work ethic I've ever seen for a band in Chicago. I mean, they were everywhere when I was young. Like every show I went to, they were out there themselves passing out CDs, getting to know their fans personally. Like before the internet, OK Go, I remember when that first OK Go record came out, there were posters everywhere in the city. So, you know, that was kind of what we were looking for. And then once social media happened, that also made it easy because we were like, OK, who are the bands that are reaching out on social media and also making the effort in real life but you know we were always looking for bands that had that presence in Chicago and who were working hard so that we could you know help yeah. them out
1: yeah i don't think we ever really created a scene i mean the no. the, the artist would you know the artist is doing what the artist is going to do and then the talent buyers at the local venues you know, if, if you know, they're the ones that are like gauging their crowd and the audience of the kids that are coming into their club. I mean, you and me, we would sit in the studio all alone and just talk into a microphone. Um, Now, we would go out to the clubs, too, but we we weren't there every single day. So what was happening, the scene was kind of happening on its own in these different areas. We were almost like a reflection of it. Yeah, right. I mean, and we were kind of like almost following it or or helping push it along to the next step. So I guess that's why we can't—our show was different than JVO's show. We don't really have a genre that we can define that was ours. We just tried to help promote anyone who was promoting
0: themselves. Well, and, you know, Local 101, during, you know, your run, we got to— bring in a lot of talent that didn't fit in Q101's format. Acts like Blastradamus, Echo 9, Walter Migo, Kid Sister, who, you know, all really quality artists, you know, and there was tons more, Assassins. but like Andrew Bell. Andrew Bell, yeah, but they never would have been able to get their music on Q101 because it didn't fit, but it still was really quality Chicago music that needed to be heard. Absolutely. Yeah, it was a blast, man. It was cool. What were some of the highlights during, like, your run on local one oh one like and even before local one oh one. I don't remember if it was the rock or local one oh one but there's a disturbed story that always comes to mind that is oh is yeah, a great story. yeah.
1: Oh man, I know. It's like we you know, I I tried desperately to get David from Disturbed to to do one of the final interviews on Q one oh one so we could tell the story again because after it happened, every time I interviewed Dave or anyone from the band Disturbed, the story would always come up. And uh, it was it was when I was at 103.5. It was when I was at The Rock. And I, I remember doing an appearance, an in-store appearance for a guitar center. I would do a lot of guitar centers, voice work. Love those guys. Thank you, guitar center. For all the money you gave me over the years. For <laughs> and this if you'd like to sponsor sure this stuff. podcast. Yeah, guy. there you this go. This is where it continues. And all the equipment that those guys gave me. I mean, it was so awesome. I, I remember I even got the uh, fogging, awesome fog machine from there <laughs> that I would set up in my house on weekends. It was great, <laughs> dude. It was great. So, um. So yeah, I was, yeah. I was, so I'm doing like a, you know, a meet and greet at a guitar center and uh, they had of the stanchion line set up and I was accepting demo tapes, you know, they still called it demo tapes with CDs and this guy walks in all rocked out. I mean, all the bands and guys look rocked out, you know, but it, it was probably about, I don't know, maybe five, seven or something and um you know comes in and he like comes up to me like, and mean shakes my bald, dude. Yeah, he was a mean looking dude for sure yeah. <laughs> um and he like gives me a cassette tape and he's like hey man i want you to, this is my you know my band's name disturbed and this is my band's tape man and i look at it and i'm like i look at the i, I remember like looking at the cassette and flipping it over and thinking like this is a cassette and i tell him like dude you know we don't play cassettes on the radio <laughs> and I like kind of almost toss it sort of over my shoulder into the big cardboard box that we were putting all the demo tapes in. I'm like, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> Honestly, bro. Talk about egg on my face. Look at that. And dance. then they become
0: disturbed. Yeah. Then they're
1: huge. Yeah. So anyway, David never, never let me live that down. Yeah. But it's, it's been all in fun and you know, he's a, he's a really good dude and he's not as scary as people think he is.
0: <laughs> you but know uh, Q-101, obviously, I mean, everyone knows this. Q-101 kind of closed its doors um, last month, middle of July. Yep, yep. Um, July 14 was the final show. Yep, and, you know, it changed formats. The, the station's now a news station. So, you know, we were lucky enough, you know, and I say we, Local 101. You were the one on the air, though. Like, you know, Local 101 got to close out the final hours of Q-101. You got to be the voice of that, and I know the answer to this, but how was that as a broadcasting experience to kind of, close down this 20-year Chicago institution.
1: Well, just a minute of backstory before that. But We found out when it was announced that that the radio station had been sold, and we were told that the takeover was going to be in about 45 days, and, and I quickly looked at my calendar to do the math. That would have been August 1st. Which would have been a Sunday. August, August 1st was a Monday. Oh, yeah. So if, if Q101 was on the air until August 1st, because I, I, I remember sending you a text or a tweet or I yes. called you or something. I'm like, dude, if it goes down like this, do you realize our show will be the last show on Q101 as it's known today?
0: The last, like. Q101 broad, because like after our show was Love it was Lines. was Love Lines, right. You but know, that, that's not going didn't to count. count. didn't right. count. We were in yeah. the last Q101 show. Right, right.
1: And and I was like, um, don't, and I said, don't tell anybody.
0: Right. Because you want to like they, jinx it? Or have <laughs> anyone figure it out and have them be like, fuck no, they're not the ones who are going to do this. Well, that's
1: just it. I'm like, don't tell anybody because if they find out, there's no way they're going to let us do that because over, the, over our tenure at Q101, you know we've been the bastard stepchild over at least 5 different programming teams. Sometimes yeah. they love us, sometimes they hate us. So that was the original deal, but apparently in in the sales contract between the new company and and MS, they had like a 5-day notice clause where they could, they could they give could us do notice whenever they want. They yeah. could give us notice and then they would take over in 5 days. So um, I remember when we found out you and I were scrambling, we were trying to book like the biggest artists we've had over our 10, 13-year tenure at, at uh, Q101 yeah. as guests on the show. And, man, we were killing it. We were getting some big names that we Pete Wentz up. came
0: on, Tim from Rise Against, Jimmy Chamberlain, like uh, Scott Lucas. We got to bring on a lot of, not all of them, though. There were so many people we still would have loved to have brought on, but we got to bring on a ton of great talent that we've supported over the years, and it was really, really cool that they took the time to Come in one last time.
1: Absolutely, and we we had it all lined up. We even had some huge artists, even some of the bigger ones, including Billy, was supposed to come in a little bit later. But the new company exercised that five day um, clause, and then I was notified on Monday morning by you. You actually sent me a a, a text and said they just fired the entire full time air staff, but they're allowed to stay on the air until Thursday. Right. (laughs) Right. And then and then uh, and then there's but then they're still going to play Q one hundred and one music the rest of the weekend. And they said, well, if you if you haven't had a meeting yet, you're not fired. So none of the weekend staff, including myself, had been technically fired. So I called the program director and I'm like, hey, Kyle, you know, they're not going to bring, you're not going to fire everybody on Thursday and then bring the weekenders back on the weekends. Right. I'm like, that's is, it. Thursday's is, the is, end. Is that the end or will I have one more show? And he said, honestly, Chris, I'm sure that's the end. And I asked Kyle, I said, Kyle, can I do one more show Anytime on Thursday, just right? So you I didn't could,
0: you didn't call asking like, can I shut down the station? No, no, You're just uh, like, I want to do a final local one, right? I'm like, I, I'm like, can I do one final show
1: because I, I would like to just sort of essentially say thank you, not not about a set and nothing sad,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: like a fun last show, one big party. That's right, one big party. And it, during the conversation with Kyle, you know, he said, he's like, Chris, you've been on Q101 for 13 out of the 22 years yeah. of this station. And he said, you host a local Chicago music show. He's like, will you do the last hour from 11 to midnight of the show? And I'm like, I can't believe this just happened. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, man, we'd absolutely love to do it. And, um, you know, so we did. And turns out, you know, we had a meeting on Thursday, before the end, and they came to me and said, you know what? The official takeover time's not till 10 a.m. Friday. You can keep going past midnight if you want. <laughs> but at midnight, you can't use Q101.com or the Q101 logo because someone else has bought it, and we can't say that Right. Anymore. So
0: at midnight, the sale happened. And I was like, let's go till 5 a.m. You're like, I'm, I'm not like, doing nah, that. Nah, dude. I was literally leaving the very next <laughs> day. I was like, let's to- do like a seven-hour local 101. <laughs> I was literally leaving the next day after that to go on a 10-day vacation. I'm like, yeah. ah, I'm not going to do that. But I, I figured we'd We do at least two hours, which we we did. And it was was an awesome set of radio. I mean, Pogo was there. There was tons of Q101 staff past and present all day who stayed into the night. We had interviews with Medina Lake and Patrick Stump that we played that night. Um, I mean, it was really like a pretty momentous occasion and really like it was such an honor to be associated with the show that was closing down Local 101. For us to have gotten Local 101, which is, this thing started with James Van Oslo and with Carlo Leonardo, you know, even before him. So right, right. all of it, like for me, like my inner radio fanboy was really like in full effect that that last week, that last day, that last night. I was like, I can't believe that I've gotten to be part of this. It was it was so cool. It was such a great hour, or not even hour, but like night of day and night of radio.
1: Yeah, it really was quite a moment that lasted all day. Um, there were not just the staff and the. Former staff, you know, in the studio with us, but you know, in the hallway uh, during the entire two outside hours of the of radio station, in the
0: in the building's hallway, looking in through the glass window, there were you know forty people, who won, you know, one you know T shirts, balloons, signs, who were just you know writing things on paper to put up against the paper, like. You know, trying to communicate with us, listening out in the hallway, just trying to be part of the moment. Everyone wanted to be part of the moment.
1: Even yeah. you know, our you talk about our you talk about social media. Our Facebook pages exploded, almost tripled. Yeah. Uh, in 48 hours, same thing Twitter with Twitter. Was that blew up. I mean, you know, there are sites that track that. You know, people who are are adding. Twitter clients frequently, and then they'll send out a blast Q recommending was, uh, that that other people follow you.
0: Q101 was trending on Twitter that day, yeah, or and, that
1: night, and on Google and on Yahoo,
0: yeah, which is pretty crazy. So yeah, it, it's, was, it's it was it was momentous, and um, you know, I was given the honor, the just enormous, absolute, immeasurable honor by <laughs> I you. I know, I did. I'm I not did. even kidding. I like, gave this to you, man. I know I this know. is like I'm not exaggerating, in how. Immense this is. I was given the honor of getting to close out Local 101 and I chose Smashing Pumpkins tonight tonight which everyone loved. Even Billy like on Twitter was appreciative of that. Yeah, yeah. And then you got to close out the whole station entirely like as a whole format and you did Friday I'm in love by the Cure.
1: Yeah, and and just it, it, To be clear, Pogo and I both did it. Yes, you and Pogo. Pogo's such a great guy. I mean, you know, he and I will be friends until the day we both die. Super,
0: super. Maybe one of the most passionate people about music in the entire city. Absolutely. Everything that you think he is on the air, he
1: is. He's just a really, really cool guy. And genuinely so nice. And I I asked him because it had been so many years since I've actually worked behind that control board uh, live that I, I... didn't want to screw it up so I asked Pogo I'm like dude will you hang out and board out for me while we get through this and he's like absolutely sure I'm like don't worry I got four bottles of champagne we're gonna kill that and which we did and uh and sure enough I mean you know for hanging out and and he deserved to be a part of it too so I, I remember telling Pogo I'm like all right buddy let's intro Friday I'm in love by the cure at the exact same time so we can both say that we did it and, we and you did
0: guys it. did it in yeah. unison and
1: that closed out and the history of it. Q101 and, and with you honestly bro I mean I felt like It was never more apparent to me than it was in the last, you know, seven days of uh, Q101, that that a lot of people had no idea exactly how much you contributed to that show, and and I remember like you know telling my wife I was saying you know I need to do something huge for Hyma so that not only does do you know that I appreciated all these years together. That I needed everyone else to know that it wasn't just me that you right. were, that it was you. And I remember when I told you, I'm like, honestly, bro, I know what your song is going to be, but I want you to pick the very last song we
0: play on the very last local 101 show. And it was it was so cool. And I mean, there couldn't have been any other song except for like Smashing Pumpkins, like classic love letter to Chicago. Yeah, you know, to close out local 101 into really usher in, you know, the end of Q101. It so. was truly
1: perfect. It was a, it was a surreal moment. It was, uh, I mean, people were just, there were tears just streaming off everyone's yeah. faces. It was studio. awesome. It was, it was pretty incredible. And, you know, you asked me what the, the highlight of my career was. I think it was those two hours.
0: Those, I mean, those were great hours of, of not just radio, but just life. Yeah. It was really special. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, during that broadcast, you mentioned, I believe that, you know, I think you cited that as your, retirement from broadcasting or radio or the music business or something so you know is that something you're married to or do you think that this is just maybe a break because people ask me people still come up to me all the time and they're like I'm not exaggerating I'm not saying this for the podcast like what's Chris Payne going to do and I'm like you know I I don't know like you don't talk to him I'm like we talked every week for 13 years like I don't need to call him today like (laughs) we're still friends I don't I don't have to check up on him you know but but people wanted to know yeah, well, you know, it was
1: it was it was a pretty big secret. I mean, you knew, and then one of my older producers, Ashley, she knew that um, the year before, at the end of 2010, I my last show was going to be in December. I mm-hmm. was gonna I was gonna end it there because my law practice is actually really you know it's it's demanding more and, and more of no my one, time.
0: A lot of people don't even know this that you're a partner at a law firm yeah, during the right. week. Yeah, Local 101 right. is your side gig and. And that really became your life this last decade.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, it's a really large law firm. I have some really big grown-up responsibilities. (laughs) Sure. And and I love what I do. Um, And the time commitment... Uh, to do local 101, people don't realize to do that one-hour show. It would take eight hours of my week. To it was do a week-long commitment, then, and then you would spend hours doing it too. Yeah. And I, I felt like that—that um, that my professional life wasn't allowing me as much time as I needed to put into the local show to give it, you know, the attention that it really needs. So I was looking at like just ending it, you know, letting some. I felt let someone else take over. Let you take over. Mm-hmm. um, whoever would do it would have to apply for it, obviously. And I would have, I couldn't hand the baton. I couldn't hand the sure. baton to anybody. I mean, it wasn't my decision, but, um, you know, so, and then, then we, we brought on this, this awesome guy, Scott Hames, who was Fantastic an, an, audio an incredible editor. audio editor, so then suddenly he would—he was handling all the editing on the show for me. He would edit all the interviews. He would edit some of my pieces. And that literally freed up about three or four hours per week for me that I could actually spend with my family and, and, and my other real job. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep doing it, keep doing it. And oh man, I'm so glad that I decided to do that and brought it on board.
0: If you, I mean, if you would. Had... Yeah. Pulled the plug like seven months before the end, you would just would have been kicking yourself. I would have been
1: kicking myself. But Cap you know, it. but to answer your but to answer your yeah. question, I mean, the thing is is and you
0: know what, you know, right when all
1: this was happening, I mean, I'm getting, you know, a lot of you know, some of my close friends in radio have my personal contact information. Richard Mill at XRT. Sure. You know, he you know, reached out to me and, you know, I wish I could recite it word for word. The email was too beautiful to even, you know, to to try to spit it out but you know essentially he was just expressing what a loss it's going to be to the city of Chicago and the local community without me there and you know he's you know he's working at a competing radio station but he's out there doing the same thing that I was doing too and he's like what are you going to do now and I responded back you know I'm thinking about this this might be the end I think I think I'm going to retire and call it an end and he made a comment about you know, it's better to end on top than try to hold on for another year, which is never pretty for, for those sure. uh, those people that try to do that stuff. And, um, and I felt that way too. And what and, better ending could you have asked for? Yeah, exactly. And, and think about it. It's like, where would I go within the city? I mean, I suppose I could pop over to another radio station, but would it be the same? Yeah. Would I have the same control over my show that we've always had? Would I be able to do the same things? You know, probably not. And, you know, and it's and it's really changing. And as badly as I still want to help these local bands, uh, you know, with their careers, I just don't know if I would be given the same opportunities. I don't know if I would be happy. And I, it probably would fizzle out, and you never know. I mean, I might leave it in, in six months
0: and quietly away. And you don't want to go, away. you know, have a sour ending after such a exactly. fantastic ending. Yeah. You know, I, I totally get that. I have people who, when they talk to me, they're like, I'm so sorry Q101 went off. And I say... And, you know, I mean this. And I'm like, I got to do everything I wanted to do. Yep. I really did. Like, I couldn't have asked for more. So if the station continued, I absolutely would have continued with it. Right, me too. But there was nothing about it where I was like, there's so much left unfinished, I didn't want to, you know, I didn't get to do. We got to interview the Pumpkins. You know, we got to to witness and be a small part of so many talented bands that both made it and didn't end up making it, but at least... Help contribute to their story. I I felt so fulfilled with it, you know. So
1: yeah, me too. I felt like um I felt like that we did as much as we possibly could for as many as we possibly could the best way that we possibly could.
0: Absolutely, it's well said, man. Uh, Chris Payne, really like Chicago music radio legend. I mean, I'm not saying that. Thanks, man. And you know, personally, you gave me such a huge start in radio. You kept me on for 13 years to work with you, which I always tell people, like, that's longer than most marriages. I don't know a lot of people who've worked <laughs> together side by side for 13 years. It's not like it's just one company where like, oh, we've been co-workers for 13 years, but every single week you and I spoke about Chicago music. And I really, like, it's been such an honor to have had the opportunity to work with you. I'm so honored you came on this podcast, which is a very different type of of operation than local 1-on-1. It's not trying to be local 1-on-1, but at the same time I wouldn't have been able to do this without my time on local 1-on-1 and q one one So really thank you so much.
1: Oh, I love it, man. It's uh it's really it's kind of cool being on this side of the couch. Yeah. in terms of being interviewed as opposed to, you know, running the interview and I never realized how much I like to talk about myself.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, and I like the podcast cuz you can just keep it going. It's not like we have to like hit yeah, a certain amount and then so be like, "Oh, funny, we don't have man. time." That's so funny. Well, Chris Payne, thank you so much. And really, like, you know, it's such an honor to have you here. Thank you.
1: Great, man. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And congratulations. Uh, 100 podcasts, six years, two incredible benchmarks, man. Keep it going, buddy. I'm
0: listening. You know, now I got to carry the baton. (laughs) That's right. Keep going, man. Carry it. (laughs) This has been the Chicago vs. United audio podcast, your Chicago scene salvation. Thanks to Chris Payne for being on the show this week. You can find past episodes of the Chicago vs. United audio podcast at chicagoverseunited.com. Including interviews with Jerry Bryant, Martin Atkins, and many, many more. Dynasty Podcast is recorded at the Music Raj. Check them out on the web at musicraj.com You can follow the Dynasty Podcast Network online at Facebook, Twitter, and SoundCloud.com/slash/DynastyPodcast and DynastyPodcast.tumblr and Bandcamp.com for the Dynamic Dynasty. My name is Hyman Black. Dynasty Descend.